Good morning. Good to see you folks. If you don't know who I am, it's because Mitch is gone this week. My name is Mark Wells. I'm the worship team lead up here, and I get the great opportunity to share with you this morning. A little side note announcement, just since Joey finished up, I get to throw one in off the cuff. Uh, as a worship team leader, if you're ever interested in being involved in the worship team, you need to come see me, right? We got talent-based positions up here. We got a bunch of positions in the back from high schoolers to their learning cameras and pro presenter and, and all this stuff back there. So if you're interested in being involved in our team, come see me sometime and we'll talk about that because we're always looking for people and positions are open all across the board and we'd love to have you if you got uh, that desire and ability. So it's great to be with you this morning. I really look forward to the opportunities I have to share with you. Uh, it's very rare, but it, I just love it. I love getting up and to share things, especially because uh, I get to share with what I want to share about. I don't have to run through a difficult text like Nehemiah chapter 5 or something. I get to do what I want to do, which is always fun to do because I just talk to you about what I'm passionate about. And um, so this morning, I want to talk to you about something that my Sunday school class has heard me kind of go through over the past 12 weeks. We've been working through uh, the uh, one verse in 12 weeks, or two verses in 12 weeks, actually. So, But it's the Great Commission, and um, they've been hurt, work, working with me as I work through that. So you, you guys forgive me if I jump on something you've heard of before, but um, let me just jump into it by saying this. My quest, my desire, my passion in Houston and in my life is to find the greatest hamburger around. Does anybody know the greatest hamburger in Houston? Some of you guys probably do. Some of you ladies, I don't know, because you know, you like turkey burgers and stuff like that. A hamburger. And so as you were walking around in the weeks to come, if you see me and you got an idea for a great hamburger, you need to come tell me where, because I'm on a quest for it. Some, several other guys, too. I think Justin's with me on this one. But uh, we're going to go find the greatest hamburger. Now, the conditions are this. I'm not talking about all the stuff you put on the hamburger, all the, you know, because you can pile a hamburger with anything. I'm talking strictly, here's the, the deal, strictly meat and strictly bun. That's it. You can't put anything else on it because that's how you judge a hamburger. Because you can always throw eggs on it or sardines or whatever you want to throw on a hamburger to make you happy. Uh, that's not a hamburger. That's just a lot of stuff. So if you got an idea uh, and you got a, the best burger in town, I want you to come see me and talk to me because I'm going to go check it out. That's my quest. Why I bring that up and you go, Mark, this is really going nowhere. It is going somewhere. And here's where it's going. I, I used to love the hamburger places. There used to be a place right around the corner called Muya Burger where you go in and you sit in line and you pull out a card and you get to write down all the stuff you like on a hamburger, right? You get to write down everything you want on it. You hand it to the person. They build the perfect burger for you. That's awesome. Well, I tell you what, we do the same thing with Jesus, don't we? What I call it is the uh, if I build your own Jesus. It's what our culture does with our Messiah. What do you want him to look like? Let's just build our own Jesus, right? Let's, let's build him exactly how we want him to look and not how Scripture says he is or how he says he is. So we build our own Jesus. Matter of fact, one person once said, in the beginning, God created man, and man kindly returned the favor, right? We take our ideas and our desires and our passions and what we think Jesus looks like, and we build this Jesus like we're going through a hamburger line, and we build up to this perfect Jesus that we think he should be when he's not that at all. Matter of fact, here's the world's idea of the perfect Jesus here, right? The world's perfect Jesus is a good-looking Blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus that has a physique and a face like Thor, with double grace, extra forgiveness, good life teachings on goodness, but hold the truth and remove the don't make me feel bad about anything I do on the side. 
that's a good Jesus, right? If you go out and talk to your friends and your people that might not know him and you presented that kind of Jesus to them, they're going to go, yeah, I'll go along with that. That's a good one, right? We like that one because he's molded to what I want him to be versus what he, who, who he truly is and, and who he wants to be and who he says he is in the scriptures. Um, I think one of the major functions of the church and one of the major functions of us as disciples is to take people's idea of Jesus and deconstruct the folk image of who we have of Jesus versus who he says he really is. One of my job is today is to deconstruct some ideas of what we have of who Jesus is and rebuild the true Jesus for who he truly is. Um, so let me ask you a couple questions. What are some false build-your-own-Jesuses, these pictures you have set up in the, that have been set up by the world? What are some ideas that people have of Jesus that we have set up that aren't true? Um, although taken at face value, honestly, some folk ideas have a little bit of truth sprinkled through them. Let me give you some ideas of who the world sets up as, as the Jesus, the build-your-own Jesus. The first one would be this, best buddy Jesus, right? That's who my Jesus is, my best buddy Jesus. When the world's coming out of a, a modern era back in the early 1900s where man can do everything, right? We, we, um, the Industrial Revolution's moving along. We can do anything we want to do. Man is capable. Preachers get up in church and they start preaching what? Hellfire and brimstone because man is nothing, Right? They need to learn about sin, and we're fallen, and God is everything. Until what happens? World War I, World War II. We build the ship that could never be sunk, and the Titanic sinks. The space shuttle and, and rockets blow up on the space pad. We start realizing that man is not everything. Where does the world turn? The world turns to more of a postmodern idea of, of life. And so what do preachers do? Well, their churches are emptying because they're preaching hellfire and damnation, right? Because that was what needed to be preached back then. But the churches are emptying because people don't want to hear that anymore. And so what happens? They start preaching the best buddy, Jesus, because they want to fill their, their pulpits again and fill their churches again. So we start to come up with this idea that he's just our best buddy, right? He wants, he wants to hang around with us and buddy around with us and, and be with us. And although some aspects of that are true, he's our friend, that's not who Scripture sets him up to be. Let me give you another one. Grandpa Jesus, you know, Grandpa, just make sure everybody's happy, right? That's all Jesus cares to do is make sure you're happy. Another one, against things, Jesus. Jesus is not for anyone or anything. He's just against everything. Some people build up that kind of Jesus, right? He's just against everything. How about this one? Jesus, the finger-shaking mom or cop. You know this one, don't you? That's what I grew up under, this, this, this finger always pointing at you and saying, adhere to the rules. You're messing up all the time. I don't like you. I don't appreciate you for messing up. You need to adhere to the rules. Those are the rules I gave. I'm in charge. You need to listen to me. Here's another one. Good teacher Jesus, right? The good teacher Jesus is when we set up that if you went out and, and polled your community of just, who do you think Jesus is? He was a great teacher. He was a really good teacher. You know, not true because he taught about that he was the Messiah, so their, their logic there is a little false. But that's one people set up all the time. He's just this great teacher. Matter of fact, uh, Thomas Jefferson, I'll show you something that he wrote, um, took the scriptures and kind of tore them apart. They called it, some people call it the Jefferson Bible. It really wasn't a Bible, it was his scriptures. And here's what he said Probably you have heard me say, I had taken the four evangelists, uh, evangelists and cut the, out of them 
every text they had reordered of the moral precepts of Jesus and arranged them in a certain order. And although they appeared, but as fragments, yet fragments of the most sublime edifice of morality which had ever been exhibited to man. So what he did is he goes in and he takes out the stuff he doesn't like in the Bible and he builds this edifice of moral codes and he says, we need to adhere to this, right? The good teacher Jesus that teaches about morals in life and and how to live your life. Yeah, he was a good teacher, taught how to love people and care for people and not judge. And the one that I want to deconstruct today for you and for us is the one I call the contractor Jesus. Who is the contractor Jesus? Here's this one. Hey, hey, Jesus, I got a problem, and I need you to fix it. I got a problem, and I need you to fix it. When, when things are good, we tend to forget our God and chalk things up to hard work and good circumstances. When things turn south, though, you know, um, we come running to Jesus to fix things for us. It's our human nature. You know, it's what we do, and it's false in many ways. Although it's what's been true throughout the ages, people set them up this, this fix-me-Jesus kind of scenario over and over and over again. So who is this guy that we call Jesus? We're here to follow and to worship Jesus. Who is he? What's he really like? How do we define him correctly in our lives? Uh, this is a major part of what we call spiritual formation, the, the opportunity to recreate and just deconstruct the ideas of Jesus, of who we have built up in our minds, and rebuild it to who he really is and who truly is, instead of our human reasoning. Um, The third commandment, if I had to say to you, the commandment says we are commanded not to use the Lord's name in vain. What does that mean, to use the Lord's name in vain? If I had to ask the general public or ask you, most of you would probably say, to not use the GD curse word, right? And although that's true to some extent, it's not the essence of the passage. It's not what it's talking about. I don't think it's what it means. The third of the Ten Commandments recognizes that God has entrusted us with something special and something very precious. So using the Lord's name in vain and what God intended by that passage and by that, that commandment was to say this, do not take me out of context. Do not damage my reputation or my character or make false claims about me which are not true. We must be very careful as believers in Christ not to use the Lord's name in vain, not to make him something that he's not, the grandpa Jesus or the best friend Jesus or the fix-it Jesus. Look at this passage of Scripture. Romans 1, 20-23, For since the creation of the world, his visible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they're without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And get this, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of corruptible man, and the, and the birds and the four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a time in your life where the version of Jesus you set up and you grew up with failed you? Because he's not real. We build a Jesus who is not real and we call out for him. He's not there. You might have thought, you know, where's God when I need him? He hasn't shown up. Some pop- people might even give up on their face because they, they, they created a God who wasn't there. And they say, that's my God and he wasn't there. Where is he? They create false images and false views of God and he doesn't show up. 
So today what we're going to do is deconstruct this idea of fix me Jesus for who he really is. There's a doctrine called the doctrine of immutability. Let me define this for you. The doctrine of immutability says this. The immutability of God is the doctrine that says God is unchanging in his character. He's unchanging in his will and he's unchanging in his covenant promises. He doesn't change. Hebrews chapter 13 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by the varied strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. You know, when uh, Moses was in the desert and he encountered God, he was told to go and lead the people. And he asked God, who, sh- who, should, they, who should I tell them sent me? And God replied, this is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. Then later on in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John, look at this. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and it was good. He was glad. For the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him because... But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This violent response to the, the Jews had towards Jesus' I am statement indicates that they clearly understood what he was declaring. That he was the eternal God, incarnate Jesus, and he was equating himself with the I am statement found in Exodus 3.14. So let me ask you this. Why is this doctrine important? You know, the, the immobility of God. Why is it important that we hold up that he is without changing, that he's not changing, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It could be a long discussion. It could be a whole sermon series. But basically, if God ceases to become God, if he changes all the time, and if he's always going to change, how can we ever trust him? He could change his promise. He could change his character. He could change anything he wants to change. So we have to believe in the immobility of God. Because if God is changing all the time, then, then you know, we have no one to trust in. So let's talk about this contractor, Jesus. And I use that term because, you know, the scriptures call him a carpenter. If you look at that word in the Greek, it really doesn't mean carpenter. It means he was a general contractor. He was really good with his hands. Well, here's the version that we've set up in America, right, of our contractor, Jesus, right? Isn't that guy good looking? Look at those guns on him, man. I mean, he just built. He's handsome. You know, that's what some artist sketched of him. There he is, man. And that's how we, we, we pick up these images of him. And if I had my picture of Thor, I'd put him up there too because he looks just like the Jesus we put on our walls, right? Um, this, this massive guy with huge arms and good-looking beard and beautiful blonde hair and, you know, smiling with rosy cheeks. And sometimes we set up Jesus just like this because, I don't know, we've got this mixed-up thing in our head that he's this beautiful, handsome, muscular character. He was just a, a contractor, a general contractor. He had the ability to fix things. And sometimes we get the idea that he can fix us just like that. And that's all he wants to do is just fix us, Right? So this morning, I want to tell you a story out of the book of Mark. And please forgive me a little bit. I, I'm a youth guy. You know, I, I was on staff with Young Life for 10 years, and uh, I, I just love the story. I, I think it's the most funny story and one of the most amazing stories in the Scripture. And I want to have the opportunity to share it with you because sometimes in life, you know, we hit walls. Um, Our marriages, our finances, relationships, our sexuality. We look at Jesus and we say, just fix me. 
right? Help me and make it go away. In our, in our BYOJ, our, our build your own Jesus, he's not there for us. We come, we come to him, we say, I don't even know if I believe you anymore because I prayed the other day that you take these things away from me by Tuesday and you hadn't done it yet. And our God fails us because we built up false images of God. So this is out of the uh, Gospel of Mark, if you're following with me, chapter 2. You got to understand the Gospel of Mark is very terse. It's very, he's very short and to the point, and he makes these statements, and he doesn't go into a lot of detail. But this story is just, is just, is, it's just filled with detail that you don't see. Um, I'm going to read from chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, and we'll kind of break into this a little bit. When he'd come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Now, stop here for a second. Why do you think so many people came to see Jesus? Well, he's preaching a good message. Nah. That's not why they came to see him. Matter of fact, the chapter before, Mark chapter 1, he heals a man, and he says, don't tell anybody. You know, don't tell anybody because he's not ready for the word to get out yet. He's trying to get his message out. He says, don't tell anybody. Just go show yourself to the priest. Well, what does he do? He goes and tells everybody. And here we see in Mark chapter 2, the place is filled up. Why do people come and see Jesus at this early point in his career? I'll tell you why, and that's what I think. They want to see him do tricks. Right? Hey, this guy does tricks. I tell you what, if you told me there's a guy and he's going to be at the Toyo Center and he's a really good preacher, you need to go hear him. I think, well, I don't know if you're a preacher. Hey, there's a guy that's coming to the Toyota Center and he's going to put arms back on people. He's going to bring people back from the dead. Really? I might want to go see him because he's all over the internet. He's on YouTube. He's on Instagram. He's on all this stuff. And he says, and you're watching him go, I got to see this guy live. I might want to go see that, right? The public might want to go see that because he's all over everywhere. The word is out that Jesus does these amazing things and these tricks and he's healing people and go, I want to be a part of that, right? They're, they're piled in to see him, right? To, to see him do things and to see him do these miraculous things tricks, so to speak, not really to hear a good message, so to speak. Um, and so they packed the place out. This might have been Peter's house. Um, and Jesus is going to come in and do these wonderful things. i tell you why I know this, because uh, years ago I was um, thumbing through the TV and one of these televangelists was on there, right? He was going to preach, and he had a huge following. He was going to be preaching in Africa. You know what he said? He said this. He said, um, Jesus is going to appear with me on stage. And we're going to bring people back to life. And people from all the surrounding um, st- states and areas started flocking to see him because of his statement. Some people actually died getting there because they wanted to see Jesus appear on stage with them. So the same thing happening here. It's human nature, right? People want to see Jesus do these miraculous things. That's okay. I mean, that's just the truth. And one more thing before we finish the story. You got to understand when we look at the Bible and we start looking at, at stories, these aren't Bible people. Sometimes we read the scriptures, we go, well, those are Bible people, you know. They're not Bible people. They're just people. 
right? They had to get up in the morning. They had to dress their kids. They had to feed them. They had to worry about finances and politics and what was going on in the state around them and how I'm going to keep my job and how I'm going to keep my house from falling in and, and all these issues. They're just people just like you and me, but yet God has done amazing things through them. So when we read the scriptures, don't go to them as Bible people. Go to them as just, just people, just like you and me. So let's continue on. Um, verse 3. And they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men, being unable to get, him, get to him because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was laying. Now, stop for just a second, right? We read through this thing, and it's not stated here, but it's implied. Watch this. First of all, he's a paralytic, and he had four good friends, right? Here's the deal. Being a paralytic in that time was really a death sentence. The, the man at the pool of, of Bethesda was here for 38 years. Nobody cared about him. To, to be a paralytic, you can't work, you can't provide for your family. But this guy, maybe something happened later in his life. I don't know. Let's just call him Joe. Something happened in his life and became a paralytic, but he had some good friends. And so these four friends come up to him and say, Hey, Joe, we got this great idea. What are you talking about? There's a guy, and he heals people. We're going to take you to see him. Oh, come on. Give me a break. Just shut up. We're going to go, right? And they grab him by the pallet. And they go, we know right where he is. There's a bunch of people getting down there. We've got to make it down there. You can see these guys just jogging down the street, you know, with his pallet. And Joe's going, what are you guys doing? You know, just shut up. Come with us. It's going to be great. You're going to, you're going to take care of all your problems, right? They show up to the house, and the house is packed. So maybe a, a house the size of your living room, and people are flowing out into the streets, right? And they look at the house, and they kind of go, what are we going to do? Somebody says, I got an idea, right? Hey, Fred, you go get some rope. Hey, you go, guys, get some ladders. And Joe's going, are you crazy? What's going on here, you know? Get rope, get some ladders. And that takes a little while. It just doesn't happen like that. They go find some rope. They go find some ladders. And they come over to this house, and they put the ladder against the house, right? And they go up. Could you imagine what it's like, think about this, to carry a guy on a pallet up a ladder? That is not easy stuff. Probably two ladders, and I could think of them just kind of hauling them up step by step. People on the outside are going, what's going on here? They get on top of the roof, and I can't help but imagine this. Jesus is sitting in this room speaking, and he hears footsteps. It's just as weird then as it would be now. I mean, if I'm sitting here talking, and you start hearing stuff on the roof, and then you start hearing some digging, you're going, what's going on here? Let me tell you something. The sermon is over, right? It is just over. It does, they don't just come through the roof. It's got to take, they get pickaxes or whatever they're taking, and they're chopping away, and Peter's going, what are you doing to my roof? You know, I mean, and, and suddenly, these faces peer through a hole, and there's Jesus. We're right above him. Let's do it now. you got all these guys with ropes. Think how hard this is. On pallets, lifting this guy down. Here comes Joe going, you guys are nuts. And they're laying him down, and they put him right before Jesus. And they put him down on the floor right in front of Jesus, and everybody is just kind of looking there. What's going to happen? Well, Jesus saw their faith. What does that mean? They had, these guys on the roof, had some level of confidence that he's going to do only what Jesus can do. They don't know how, they don't know, have it all figured out, but they know that Jesus has this ability, and they're going to put Joe in front of him and see what happens. So let's continue on. Verse 5, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. You've got to stop. 
you got to stop and just rest in what the scripture is saying. This is the climax of the story. This is it. I mean, it's like a drum roll. This, Mark builds it up. It's like this drum roll. And they lower this guy down. They're all looking through. There. The crowd is completely quiet. Jesus looks at this paralytic and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but can't you just feel the air go out of the room? It's kind of like, really? Um, seriously? Um, that's what we, we didn't come for that. We want you to heal him, Jesus. That's just religious stuff. I can see the guys on the roof, and it's just me thinking out loud. They're looking through the hole. Jesus looks down and says, your sins are forgiven. I, I can see them just kind of roll, roll on their backs and kind of go, oh, gosh. We did all that so you would spout off some religious stuff. I tell you what, Jesus, great, thank you. We'll pack that away for a later time. But we want you to heal and take care of Joe's bigger problem. He can't walk. He can't walk, Jesus. Don't you know that's his bigger problem? Let me ask you a question. I bet you spent much uh, greater amount of time along with me in the past weeks, struggling with how to deal with my legs won't work problem than about your sin problem, right? I bet most of us dealt with, um, struggled this week dealing with, or these weeks, with finances or marriages or, or, or sexual problems or job problems instead of what's going on inside. The number one, I think, emotion in the room at this time when they put him down was disappointment. And probably some anger, too, you know. We just wanted you to heal him, Jesus. We don't care about the religious stuff. Just take care of his bigger problem. His legs don't work. The fix-it Jesus, right? Verse 6. But some of the scribes were sitting there and, and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. How can he forgive sins but God Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, you don't kind of think around Jesus because you can read your mind. Immediately, Jesus, aware of his spirit, that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk? Which is easier to say? So Mark's setting up that question for you and I. Here's the deal. The religious guys... He ticks off both groups, by the way. Hey, Jesus, don't get religious on us, right? Who does he think he is? God? Stick to the physical things, Jesus. You're good at that. We've seen you do that. But don't, you're not qualified to poke your nose in religious things. That's what we're about, right? Don't do that. And then the people who, who wanted Jesus to fix them, the build-your-own-Jesus people said, you know, um, I don't care, Jesus, about my sin problem. Or the spiritual side. Just fix the physical stuff that's going on in my life. He's burned both groups. Two things that I know, and you probably know too, sometimes our lives are so jacked up, really. We get messed up with whatever we got going on. And if there's a God, only he could fix it. We know that's true. If Jesus, who he says, who, who he is, who he says he is, he's probably the only one that can really forgive sins if he is truly God. So Jesus is a great question asker because he's, he's a master at it. He says, what's easier to say? And the gospel writer, Mark, sets this question up and he says to you, answer the question when you're reading the text. Which is easier to say? 
Your sins are forgiven or pick up your pallet and walk? The easier one is this. Your sins are forgiven. Why? Because nobody will know if it happens or not. If you came to me after the service and you said, Mark, I want to talk to you and we get together and you tell me about some sin stuff going on in your life and I say, brother, your sins are forgiven. Okay. How do you know it's true? You don't. Only God knows if it's true or not. Because only God can forgive sins. I have no power to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. Or the harder statement is this. Get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. Why? Because everybody knows if it works. Everybody will know if he can really do that, pick up his pallet and walk. And if that happens, we better pay attention to who Jesus says he is, right? Continuing on, verse 10. But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up his pallet and went out of sight of everyone. So they're all amazed and we're all glorifying God, saying we've never seen a thing like this. And this is an amazing statement. He fixes Job. And he picks up his pallet and walks. And I can see the whole crowd kind of exiting the house. They're all doing conga lines down the street or something like that as they're all going down the street. And Jesus is just sitting there kind of going, hey, I wonder if there was somebody that was left in the room that said, you know what, I, I just need my sins forgiven. I just need something inside changed in my life. You see, that's the bigger problem, isn't it? Um, the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. And he also has the power to fix things in our lives. But what takes priority? They just praise God because they saw him do magic tricks, right? And Joe was healed and he went out. Our biggest problem in, in your life and in my life is not our whatever, fill in the blank. Our biggest problem is going on, what's going on inside. And how do I know that? Because I'm a human being just like you guys are. And I know this, and Jesus knows this, that if he can fix the problem on the outside, he can, we're just going to mess it up again. I think, I mean, Joe got his legs fixed. Who knows if he didn't fall off a camel later on and break his legs again, right? Same thing with us. We, we, we ask Jesus to fix our lives, and he fixes our finances. We get them in order, and what do we do? We go out and throw the credit card out there, and we're back in the debt at 20 grand with 21% interest. Jesus, just fix me again, okay? He, he takes care of us. We go out and throw something else out, or we get involved in relationships we shouldn't be in, et cetera, et cetera. It keeps going on and on because Jesus knows the human condition, and that is we're just broken. And the big truth is this. If we don't allow Jesus to fix the inside, nothing on the outside really changes for a long time. Most of the pain and chaos we create for ourselves in life is just the effort to numb really what is going on on the inside of our lives, right? So I really do wonder if somebody in the room stopped and said, you know, I got stuff going on in my life, but I just really need something to happen on the inside. So let me close with some simple applications for you. Here's the application from the writer, Mark. It's in four words, right? <clears throat> it's in four words, and he gives you the application. Here it is. So you will know. That's the application. So you will know 
that I have the power to forgive sins, pick up your pallet and walk. So you will know that I've fixed this part of your life. I have the ability to change you from the inside out. So you will know. He cares about our our life problems. He cares about what's going on in our personal lives. And he cares about our loneliness and our sexuality and our our finances and our marriages and our work and our job. He cares about all that stuff. But he says until something on the inside changes, the outside's going to keep blowing up. I have the ability to change you from the inside out and bring proper order into place. Until your inside is melted and molded and when we yield to the Spirit of God, our brokenness just continues on and on. So let me ask you a couple challenge questions here before we finish up. Um, can you relate to the paralytic man at all? Um, wanting Jesus just to fix something on the outside? Just fix me, Jesus, and I'll be better. How does your build your own Jesus stack up to the Jesus that we've been discussing? What kind of Jesus have you built in your, your mind, in your human reasoning? You've said, this is who I think Jesus is. And he's saying, no, I'm not. I'm something different. What concepts do you have of Jesus? Here's some other ones real quick. Uh, the cop in the sky, Jesus, we talked about that one. You know, he's going to beat you over the head anytime you do something wrong. Here's one for you. The get out of jail free Jesus. Right? Get out of jail free card. I can get out of jail. So God just forgives me. doesn't matter what I do. He just keeps forgiving and grace pours over and over. And he doesn't care. So I got the card. It says get out of jail free. You got the one, the cop in the sky, who's all law, all truth. You got the get out of jail free Jesus, who just says, yeah, whatever you want to do. Have we built those up in our minds? John 1.17 says this, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So maybe you're here today, and I don't know why you're here, maybe you wanted to come and worship. Maybe you're, you lost a bet with your girlfriend and you have to come. Um, I don't know why you're here today. What do you need today from Jesus? Well, first, we need to be changed from the inside out, right? Maybe today you need a little truth in your life because he's the God of truth and grace, 100% truth, 100% grace. Maybe you need truth spoken into your life. Brother, you got to stop doing that. No more phone calls to that person. No more texts. No more flipping online to that, to that site. You don't need to do that anymore. Maybe you need that. Someone to speak in your life and give you truth. Because a small view of sin leads to a small view of grace. If we lower our idea of what sin is, then our idea of grace goes down the tube also. So maybe you need some truth in your life. Or maybe you need grace in your life. Maybe you're so broken in some areas of your life and you're just ready to tap out. You're on the mat and you're going, life is over. I'm tapping out. This is it. And you need to meet the Jesus who's going to love you and forgive you and give you grace and mercy and restore your soul, right? What if you being here today is proof that God has come looking for you? Why are you you here today? Well, I just got up and decided to go to church. Maybe God has purpose for you here this morning. The God of truth, the God of grace, which one do you need to encounter this morning? He's there for you. But we don't need to be building our own Jesus. We need to look at what Scripture says he is. So deconstructing this fix-it Jesus or the cop-in-the-sky Jesus or the get-out-of-jail-free Jesus is what we're called to do as believers when we study the Scriptures and see Jesus for who he truly is and to not use his name in vain. Don't call him something he isn't, right? 
Let's make him the God who he is. So I hope this morning um, we've kind of just really torn apart that idea that he's just there to fix things. He wants to change you from the inside out. So God first changed the inside, and the outside starts healing, right? That's my passion for you, my desire for you this morning, is you'll hear and see the true Jesus. Thanks for spending time with me this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, I just uh, come before you confessing the fact that um, I so much build the wrong Jesus so many times in my, in my mind, and um, I'll throw out the get-out-of-jail-free card so many times. Um, I don't listen to your truth. Sometimes it's just the fix of Jesus. Lord, just fix the bigger problem in my life when the problem is you need to change me from the inside out. So for those here this morning that need changing from the inside out, would you encounter them? Would you speak to their hearts about life, things in their lives that need to change? And mostly, would we not use your name in vain and present you as something that you are not? For you are the great I am, the unchangeable God. We thank you that you're not changing. We can trust in who you say you are. Bless us this week as we go from here. We have issues, we've got problems, we've got things going on. We need you. But we'll just keep messing it up again until you change us from the inside out. So we offer you ourselves this morning. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.